May I say first of all, deputies, and I'm so pleased to see the chairman of the council here, but also all of the councillors, including former colleagues of mine, I see over here, you're all most welcome to see you all. And also, of course, for present members of the Oireachtas, deputies, senators, councillors, distinguished guests, dear friends, and indeed, Uktron Sinn Féin, Gurmila Magi, Asfait and Shah. Margot Meta Medira Trish Tilta Kubla Kajielia Nerem with the Clay Kursigilia. I'm just after coming from an occasion where in the secondary school, the art coronara head, the Yatsanata, the Beder, Skaliakton, the Tarna level, the Chastaluha, Yatsanata, Jonathan Irak, the Foshti, Hukan Trivan, the Gilge. I was playing tribute to the generosity of the school I have just come from, from giving uh, space to enable a second level education to take place for those who were trying to educate their children to the middle of Irish. Revishin, there before that we may skill Lan Gaelic and skill Gaelicer Shrapanius Lewis and Neil Yonshaw. Agus Egan Okachin, we may reflect Shomroan Legoskal Aspilik. The skull on Gaelic that I was at, which was in the smallest village in Ireland, also has a room that is very much peace for now, which is a cross-border initiative. And there we were able to see two schools from Belik who were sitting down in the same room with the same children who were from the Mwintanahartje. And I thought that this generosity of spirit and this inclusiveness in relation to the language is what we need. And this is something that would have on the way here as well I also passed a, a mural to Sean McDermott who was uh, one of the signatories of 1916 but even more important is someone who on his bicycle cycled all round these counties at Cork and Queen asking people and in his second last letter said Northern Jarmother and Gaelge I also said something else as well as when I was preparing different speeches for the commemorations for 1916 and looking through the papers of the different families and the signatories, the one thing that came out is how attractive Sean McDermott was to everyone, particularly to the Ryan sisters. Of all the people visiting there, you say, it would be wonderful if Sean McDermott was coming for breakfast and so forth. And vision fear. And this is the kind of, if you like, uh, I'm listening to wonderful music this is this part of of Ireland uh, associated with the Coleman tradition is Tres Liam Les Nicole Tori Agus and Kaitland the Buncha Makaki Agus and Tradition the Ní Wanakul Shev Kulvos Quinn Shev Shane or 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 or
I'm just so pleased. I want to thank Seamus Kilgannon, the Coherent for Slight County Council, for his kind invitation to be with you today. And I do want to thank the Master of Ceremonies, Bartley Gavin, and really all of you. Of course, this is a very special occasion for the Savage family. And it's a very special occasion that is tinged with, of course, the news that we got just two days ago uh, of the passing of, of Angela uh, in Malta. Uh, I think it's at the same time, I'm sure, in spirit, she will join with us all in joining in honouring as the people of Balasadere are um, uh, so anxious uh, to honour the memory of Lieutenant Martin Savage, who a hundred years ago died in the service to the Irish Republic during our War of Independence. Now, I'm very interested in this for other reasons as well, not really because the ambush was one that was planned for somebody on their way to the Vice Regal Olage, now Horace uh, Nutron. I feel enormously safe. But I want to say something just about Martin Savage uh, and, and for a couple of other reasons. Uh, he was born in, a, in, a, in, a, in, 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 I think it's uh, 1897. It's a period that I have studied. My father was born in 1894. And in some respects, they're rather similar uh, circumstances. His homestead lies in Streamstone, only a few miles from where we are standing today, and the bridge we will honour in his name is somebody who had a very particular background. And maybe as we are preparing to do other commemorations, there are things where we are all the time filling in gaps. I look back on the couple of years we've had and I say maybe one of the big omissions we had is putting women back into history where they should have been from the beginning in relation to the foundation of our state and our war of independence. But equally, Martin Savage was in fact actually from a family of 13. Uh, my father was from a family of 10. They, they had this and similarity as well. They were apprentices to bar and grocery and then they went on to work in the shop trade, as it were. That time, lest we think it was different, it sometimes is necessary to remind people of history. If you were signing up to become an apprenticeship, you had to give a guarantee you wouldn't open a business within about 50 miles of the person for whom you signed the indenture. As well as that, historians sometimes too have left out the fact that when you go back through the lists of the people who were active in our war of independence, there was a very high number of people who were in fact in what was called the trades. You will find them in the list throughout the country. They weren't the people who were inheriting the land, the land that they were the people who had taken up jobs like all the different trades and so forth. They also on their own time would meet together, and that was why they were able to discuss politics and why they were able, if you like, to take the risks that those with property wouldn't take. So I think that this is very, very important. Martin Savage was born, as I said, on the 12th of October, 1897, the youngest son of Michael Savage and Bridget Gilday, and he was growing up in a, in, in a county and in a, a region that was known for its activism, not just owned in relation to um, freedom, but for example, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, but also uh, not far from here, of course, in Me you had 
the brief victory of General Humbert when he defeated the British force at the Battle of Colune. And then, of course, as well as that, this is something that is very important. It isn't a series of negatives to be overcome, but rather a series of events that delivered us the circumstances that we have today. There was the founding of Michael, the big meetings of Michael Davish in Irish Town, and there was, of course, as well as that, after the Irish National Land League and Parnell and Davitt, uh, there was the struggle against of the tenant farmers in the 1890s against the new native predators, the wealthy graziers who were doing, in fact, what landlords had done previously. All that is in the atmosphere where a young man born in 1897 at 18 years of age moves to Dublin in 1915. And he will become involved at 18 years of age in the, in the GPO during the 1916 Rising. When he's interned at Richmond Barracks, which thankfully now accurately remembers what went on there, the first few months of his incarceration in Cheshire, people like him were badly mistreated, deprived of their beds and blankets, and were released for just simply a half an hour a day. This was a young man, and this was his experience. And when he returned to Dublin, he was appointed a lieutenant in D Company in the Dublin Brigade and of what was declared as the Irish Republican Army by the first oil Aaron. But rather like all those I have described in the circumstances, he worked in a grocery store at 137 North Strand Street where he lived above the shop. I always remember this living above the shop for another reason as well, is that the tragic civil war, and I regard it as a tragedy, which split my own family, my father, my uncles, my aunts were involved in the War of Independence, my father is on the Republican side after the Civil War. My uncles and on the other side and my aunts didn't take sides. But I remember the difficulty of getting an occupation after 1923 and Mrs Nolan in Newbridge sent me a photograph showing that this is your father's room. The people who were apprenticed and who tried to recover their lives after the War of Independence and so on, those who lived, uh, Martin didn't. Um, and th that was what they tried to do. James Foley was his company commander, and he described him, he said, I've never seen him, but he was not smiling, and everybody who met him knew him, loved him. Now, as was different from my own family's circumstances, his father was not, the man who hired him was not a nationalist, William Kirk, but he did describe him, he said, as people did of that kind of people, he was a steady, sober and industrious young man, gentlemanly in manner and extremely courteous. But I think the other side of it was is that from the very beginning he was regarded as a person of the utmost trustworthiness. And thus, for example, when Dick McKee, the brigadier of the Dublin Brigade, was detained in November 1919, the person given the important job of keeping the papers intact, the papers that had been gathered under the instruction of the Director of Intelligence, Michael Collins, was in fact actually Martin, Martin Savage. McKee, after all, had formed a special unit which was going to act as a counter-espionage unit of the IRA under the direct control of McKee and Collins. 
and what was given to Martin Savage were the papers that included the names of all of those who were working in the counter-espionage activity. So therefore, the risk that he took in holding these papers, the risks that were there if, for example, they were released under any circumstances, was enormous. I think what was very important at this time, historians deal with it, not presidents in a way, is that Michael Collins operated in a particular way, not always necessary in perfect consonance with Dick Mulcahy, who was technically supposed to be the, the chief of staff. But I think that mainly as we meet to the major events of that led to the death of Martin Savage... It was really because of the ambush on Lord French, the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, Jack French, the Crown's representative in Ireland. <clears throat> now, I think as we do history, all of us, and we must do citizens' history, we must realise how families can be very different. In the case of Lord French, his sister, Charlotte Despard, was a most extraordinary... The, the brother and sister had two totally different views of life. Lord French <coughs> sought to stabilise Ireland through a very heavy idea of security. His sister, Charlotte Despard, was quite the opposite. She had been active in 1908 with Hannah uh, Sheehy uh, Skeffington and formed the Irish Women's Franchise League. And she was imprisoned for her suffrage activity, something that's important for us to remember in this special year 2018. And Charlotte Despard would go on to be a close friend of Maud Gone, of course, uh, Maud Gone McBride, and later the house that the McBride family would often Roebuck House was Charlotte Despard's house. She was a member of Connemon. But something else as well that is very important. Charlotte Despard was active in 1913 in helping the workers who had been locked out during the Dublin lockout. So here you had a woman like that with friends like that and at the same time you had the Lord Lieutenant who was, in front of, who was going to representing imperialism and appearing the crown and they're on their way too. To give you the very difference to, 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 to it all, Charlotte Despard is buried in the Republican plot today in Glasnevin and Lord French is half buried in Westminster Abbey. May the Lord have mercy on all of their souls. But at any event, anyway, it took several months to arrange an, an ambush. And something very interesting as well, I think, was that a train driver on, on what was then known as the Midland Railway informed his son, a young Dublin volunteer, that the train to Dublin on the following day would be carrying the Lord Lieutenant back from the French Park estate in, in Roscommon. And thus uh, a plot was laid. Something very important I met, I want to say thank you for the, the introduction to all of the community groups that you did for me. Thank you very much. The sporting groups, the different community groups, the Tidy Towns group. But not very far from the bridge where we're here, there, is, where there was a handball alley. How were the people to meet in the pub and know, plot all of this? They claimed that they were arranging a handball competition. And I think that what is very, very important uh, uh, about all of this was to say the innocence of much of it, in a way. And when the, the ambush took place, it was plotted in Flanagan's pub in Drumcondra. When they were more or less asked what they were doing, they were said, we're planning a tournament in handball. And I think they, they all went off in, in their 
Now, I have said earlier to school today, there's a great history to be written yet that no one has done, and that is the role of the bicycle in Irish history. Because bicycles were very, very important, and they're all we know from the things that they cycled off. There was an exchange of the... In the they were armed with revolvers and bombs, and when it took place, Martin Savage fell mortally wounded after being hit by a bullet in the neck. He was 22 years of age. It's very interesting, too, to think in many cases that the reaction immediately in the Dublin Brigade was of that to suffer a loss like the loss of Martin Savage. One of his comrades said, I don't think I've ever got such a blow in my life because of the love I had for Martin. I think that that was the reaction of Martin's comrades and of the public. And I can only imagine the sadness felt by Martin's mother and father at the loss of their youngest son by his four brothers and eight sisters. And therefore, it is such an honour to have Martin's family here in attendance. And I was so pleased to have met Rita, Rita, whom you will hear from, and his nephews, Michael and, and Kevin. And I know that there is sadness associated with the loss of Angela Savage. Will you please excuse me why I say something very important about the importance of radicalism? I had the privilege, I don't know whether she's here or not, of knowing another Angela Savage. She was an Angela Savage who, uh, who wrote a wonderful, a wonderful piece uh, in it when, we, when we were coming to, to, to UCG about re- commemorating 1916. We're asking people to write any connections they had. And she wrote her chapter about Martin Savage. And I, I think that but her own life is very, very interesting. Getting a county council scholarship. Where are you, Angela, there? Would you just put up your hand? There you are, dear comrade. You see that? One of the most important feminists to arrive in, in the modern period. <coughs> Got a scholarship to UCG. Went, uh, as I have said, she doesn't mind. She's written about it. In many cases, she reminds about the significance it was that time when you could have a, an Aaron knit Gansey and you could go to events at 12 or 13 or 14 years of age. And she goes to Canada, gets a doctorate, goes on into the Humboldt Institute and becomes, as she ended as a professor of chemistry in NUIG. She was with me and why I remember it. I remember when I I set up the the Workers' Union of Ireland teaching section (coughs) and she was a trade union activist. But in the time, for example, when it wasn't legal to actually use condoms and when a person who had been a student and a young academic died of, died of HIV and so forth, the person who led the campaign to have education on sex education was Angela Savage. She set up, if you like, AIDS West with her friend Evelyn Stevens to provide the very first services there. And also, as well as that, there was one of the people at the governing body of the college and others was when people found it very, very difficult to express anything other than in terms of he and him and so on to say that there was also she and her and so forth. The person who led all those arguments was Professor Angela Savage. And I'm so pleased to have known her, both as a teaching colleague, but also someone. The name is great, and the name has gone on through the generations, and you can be proud of her today too. She would be a cousin now of the Savage family who are in there. I'm not going to say just very much more except to say 
it's very interesting about Joe Leonard, when, uh, uh, who was the member of the squad on the ambush that I've been referring to. It shows you how people can manage forgiveness. He said about Lord French, Lord French was a gallant gentleman, and he conducted his British affairs in Ireland to the very best of his ability. And Dan Breen would write later, and he'd say, I must say, I'm glad now that Lord French escaped. He was only doing his duty by his adopted country. But today a bridge will be named in honour of Martin Savage after his body was handed over to his family all those years ago. His coffin draped in the tricolour, now our national flag, was carried two miles at shoulder high with a funeral cortege. There was miles in length. Buried in his family plot, and I so pay tribute to those who have cleaned up the plot and the graveyard, it was buried there... And at, on the occasion, it was said, we are burying the greatest tribute. This was the greatest tribute ever paid to an Irishman in the West of Ireland. I would like to finish by saying, as I make reference to it, about what a terrible, terrible price we did pay uh, for the Civil War. And as we prepare for to recover memories of all of that period, it's important that we do so with generosity, and we also do so by trying to understand the judgments made by those who in their different circumstances were responding to a call for freedom. And if they had not answered that call for freedom, freedom would not have dropped from the sky and you would not have an independent president of Ireland standing in front of you rather than a voice cry. So I do think we need, in fact, to actually, also in particular, look at those who have been left out. I said I mentioned earlier in relation to all those people, those people that in the trades in the different cities who are members. But also as well as that, I think it's very important that we make a beginning, and I do so today by saying the way in which, if you like, that the debacle, as I would call it, over the handling of recognition of service and independence, and very particularly the pension strategies that were followed after the War of Independence. There were parts of the country, uh, for example, uh, where people simply couldn't, in fact, adjust themselves after the Civil War. In parts of Kerry, up to 70 to 80 percent of members of the brigades emigrated to America. And here, within the same the land that adjoins where you will have the bridge, there was, for example, Captain Harry Benson and his brother Dominic Benson, who was the person who his name is inscribed on the handball alley that was there. And all of this, in their cases, he too, they went, he went as well uh, to the United States and so forth. So it is time for us in Ireland, it is time for us in Europe, and it is time for us in, in the world to be able to manage the sophistication that realises that any kind of understanding of forgiveness must be based on an attempt to try to understand fairly and to understand all of the circumstances and all of the risks and sacrifices that were made that make it possible for us to be indulging in this kind of reflection. Today we attach the name of Martin Savage to a crossing in his native land as a permanent reminder of his great sacrifice and of the sacrifices of so many brave Irish men and women who strove to establish an independent Irish republic, one dedicated to vindicating the promises of the proclamation and of the programme of the first all of, of the first programme of the all Aaron. So I think we will all stand when we go out 
as, and invoke all of this as an inspiration to our own and our future generations and to our capacity to imagine and to bring into being the folly and inclusive republic which those who signed indentures for service and those who inherited the land and all those who want to be free and those who want gender equality and those who want to forgive without being required to forget and those who want to play responsible, sustainable futures in a global interdependent world to continue to build a republic of which our forebears would be proud, one rooted in solidarity, compassion, courage and generosity. In all of this, when we think of the very young man after whose memory the bridge is named, let us think indeed of the sacrifices that have been made. August Rada Tatovak is Vedalin and Rod Galera Carly Kale, Shishan and Ahantis to bring Gaelga on Kyol and cry up the Smarsh in there. Today our island is full of creativity, full of music and decency and generosity, instincts towards equality, responsibility towards the outer world, not afraid to speak of us as an independent country. And we enjoy all of that freedom because of the great risks of those who gave all their head, their lives, so that we might be free. Mila Buikas, can I live, Barbara?